Welcome in. It's episode six of Entertainment Purposes Only. I'm your host, Ben Hardy. Of course, we've got a ton of college football to get into. This will be the week four recap of the epic college football weekend that we just had. Before we get started, as always, I want to tell you about our good friends over at Arbitrage Racing. Guys, they're just the best stable in the digital horse racing game, period. I've told you every single episode so far. I'll keep saying it because they're good sponsors. I'll get to that in a second. Go follow them at Arbitrage Racing on Twitter. No G on the handle. Arbitrage Racing. They're the best stable out there for digital horse racing. Trust me on that. The Arbitrage Racing guys sent a surprise to my house this weekend. It actually got here on Saturday about midday. And as you can see, there's a green elephant in the room right now. This was a gift from the Arbitrage Racing boys. So thank you guys. It's a green screen for those of you listening on podcast uh, behind me here, filming this in a different room right now. So we could set the green screen up and we've got it. And I'm going to be honest with you guys, all the editing of the green screen, the things that I want to put on there have to be done after I record, obviously. So I have no idea if I'm going to be able to figure it out. Watched a YouTube video on it last night. So I'm hoping I'll be able to figure it out in the video editing software. But if not, it kind of be funny for the first screen screenshot to just have a green screen behind me the whole time because I couldn't figure it out. And as a thank you for them sending me the green screen, I'm going to do them a solid here. One of the guys in the arbitrage racing group, Robbie, uh, he's, you know, a bit of a jerk as a friend sometimes. And as you can also see here, I got a haircut today. I was feeling kind of self-conscious about it once I got it. I texted the Arbitrage Racing guys. I said, guys, I'm supposed to record tonight. I just got a haircut. It's too short. My fat face looks like a thumb now. I don't know. It's just not good. I sent them a picture and told them, you know, we're in the trust tree. Don't screenshot that. Don't use it for anything. But this is just what I'm dealing with right now. Five minutes later. Robbie had screenshotted it and come up with his own cartoon logo for the show. So until we get into the games, I'm just going to throw this up there. That's, that's what he came up with. Again, this is going to be even funnier if I can't figure out how to do this. And I built that whole thing up just for the green screen to stay behind me, but I tried, I tried. So Hopefully, the secondary logo is on there right now, and you guys can see it and make fun of me and everything. But, uh, yeah, thank you to the Arbitrage Racing Boys. Another good friend of mine who sent me this microphone, told you about him last week, Matt Wayman. He's a big Clemson fan, and he texted me after the game on Saturday, after the Clemson-Florida State game, saying, please don't talk bad about Clemson on the show. You know, it was a close game. We should have had it, all that good stuff. And I'll be honest with you guys. Once he sent me this microphone, when I told him thank you, I said I wouldn't talk bad about Clemson on the show for the rest of September as a thank you to him. Clemson's kind of tying my hands right now. I don't know what to do with it here. I mean, there are good things and bad things about how Clemson played on Saturday. What do I do? I promised him I wouldn't talk bad about him, but there's some stuff that needs to be said about Clemson right now. So, I'm just going to play down the middle, be as fair as possible about this, 
and we're going to go glass half empty, glass half full on Clemson. So first of all, we'll we'll go through the positives for Clemson. By the way, Clemson versus Florida State, great college football game. I mean, that's what you want out of a college football game. Just all the dramatics, all the big plays, everything you want to see, great game, back and forth. Unfortunately, one team had to lose it. So Clemson, if you were to not see the score and open up a box score from this game, you'd think Clemson won the game by 21 points. I mean, they dominated just line by line of the box score. Everything you look at, Clemson had the advantage besides turnovers. And that's good. They're not a bad team, obviously. I mean, about you just played the number four team in the country and took them to overtime. Like, nothing to be ashamed of there. It was a great game. You belonged on the field with them, the team that destroyed LSU. Like, it was a fine showing. Nobody's saying Clemson stinks right now. But you should have won the game. And you did everything but win the game. Again, one of the most glaring stats in that box score, and I should have prepared better and written this down. I don't remember exactly what it was. But the number of first downs in the game, Clemson maybe tripled up Florida State in that. So Clemson can get the first downs. They can move the chains. Problem is, they're not an explosive offense. You can get all the first downs you want if you're not causing any big plays. It's not good. It's a lot easier to have one big play hit than to have to have these 10 to 15 play drives where if one thing goes wrong, you have one penalty, one drop pass, one whatever. It derails the whole thing. So again, they again they played well. They moved the ball, but they got to get more explosive. It's to liken it to an argument that I have a lot with my dad these days when we watch the Braves. He's wanting the Braves' offense to play like the Clemson offense. When they get a guy on, he wants them to bunt them over and then hit a sack fly to get him in. No. But you got Ronald Acuna, Matt Olson, and Austin Riley coming up. Instead of doing all that to get one run, just hope he, the pitcher makes one mistake and you have a two-run homer. It's simple. Florida State was hitting two-run homers in this game. Clemson was playing small ball. And in the end, it came back to bite him. Now, here's where we got to get into some truths for Clemson right now. It's not comfortable. I take no pleasure in this. But these are the facts. In 2021, Clemson lost midseason a game at Pittsburgh against Kenny Pickett. And that took them to, I believe, 4-3 and three on the season. After that, they went on a 14-game winning streak. Since the 14-game winning streak, they are 5-5. And 3-5 five and five. And five against Power 5 teams. Spare me with Notre Dame's not in the conference. They're not Power 5. Shut up. Notre Dame's Power 5. Five and 5-5 five overall. 3-5 and five against Power 5 competition since the 14-game winning streak ended. Now, for a lot of the last two years, 2021-2022, there's a scapegoat on that team. A lot of people, whenever something went wrong, 
Try to blame it on DJU. Well, DJU ain't there anymore. Like I said, they're 5-5, five and 3-5 five, and five against the Power 5. Of those five losses, Cade Klubnik has been the quarterback in three of them. This is not a DJ Uyunglele problem. Got rid of Brandon Streeter, brought in Garrett Riley, thought it would be fixed. It's better, I guess, but through four games, 2-2, two 0-2. And, two, oh and, two. and guys, they got a pretty tough schedule left this year. They're at Syracuse this week. Sneak peek. I like Clemson this week, but Syracuse is undefeated. They got North Carolina. They got Miami. They got Notre Dame. They got South Carolina. Think about the teams I said. Again, I think they'll beat Syracuse, but Syracuse is sort of a hot, trendy team right now, but they should be okay in that one. You look at the rest of these. Drake May's a better quarterback than Cade Klubnik. Tyler Van Dyke's probably about equal to him. Might even give the edge to Van Dyke in his third year as a starter over Cades as in first full year of starting. Sam Hartman's a better quarterback than Cade Klubnik. Spencer Rattler right now is a better quarterback than Cade Klubnik. South Carolina is not a better team than Clemson, but Spencer Rattler is a better quarterback right now than Cade Klubnik. What if they lose three of those? What if they go seven and five this year? That's not out of their own possibility. They could run the table. They've got the team that's able to do that. They could go 10 and two and start another long winning streak like they had before this bad stretch started. But there's a lot of losable games left on this schedule for a team that for whatever reason is struggling to win close games right now. Most likely I would say is nine and three. I think one of those three of North Carolina, Miami, and Notre Dame will probably get them. But, again, 7-5, and five, not off the table. Now, something funny happened at work today. One of my coworkers actually played for South Carolina. He's a big Gamecock. And I came in through the side door where his office is. And I could see on his computer as I was walking past, he just had an ESPN.com article on his screen. The headline was something to the effect of uh, the purgatory that is Clemson in 2022. And he didn't even know that I had seen that. And he just had like the biggest stupid hazy grin on his face while he was reading that. Again, just one of the things that makes college football awesome is just the reveling in your rival's misery like that. But we're going to have to wait and see on Clemson this year. Going to have to wait and see. A lot of losable games left. A lot of big games left if they can win them to turn the thing around. We don't know. Going to have to wait and see. Florida State, as far as Florida State in this game, they were the opposite of Clemson. They just didn't screw it up. I tweeted at EPOCFB, go follow me, shame on you if you haven't already, that Clemson was the best and the worst team on the field in that game. Florida State, they just held steady throughout the game, made the big plays when they needed to, and let Clemson lose it. 
Keon Coleman's a beast, by the way. That's another thing. Florida State doesn't beat Clemson if Florida State doesn't take advantage of the transfer portal where Dabo still refuses to. I mean, Keon Coleman had two touchdowns in that game, including the game winner in overtime. He's a transfer this year. How much is Clemson missing out on by their head coach being stubborn? All right, that's enough of this logo that, again, I hope is up here. It's not just a green screen. Here's the real logo that I threw around a little bit today. And, again, hope it works. Hope you like it. Again, this is just even more hilarious if this is just a green screen that you're looking at right now. And for the podcast listeners, I know you're terribly confused. I'm sorry. But, again, go watch on YouTube. At Ben Hardy CFB is the YouTube channel. Go subscribe. Give the video a like. Leave a comment if you want. Alabama bounced back against Ole Miss this week. Got to say, second half of that game, Nephew Mill was mighty, mighty, mighty quiet. After all that cash money trash he talked on Nick Saban last week, I tried to warn him. You guys heard me. I tried to warn him. He wasn't having it. He wasn't having it. But look, Alabama still doesn't have a quarterback. They have a quarterback who can do two things. He can run like a deer, and he can throw a good deep ball. His intermediate, his make a read and zip a ball 20 yards, those throws are a disaster. I don't see Alabama trying to do that against good competition anymore. He just can't do it. They don't have a quarterback on the roster who's equipped to do that. This game, though, running the ball, hitting deep shots, playing great defense. Is that not kind of, sort of, exactly what everyone thought Alabama was going to be coming into this season? And a lot of people still had them making the playoff, winning the title. They're not dead yet, guys. They're not dead. Because, again, the SEC kind of stinks. Who are you confident going into a game against Bama is going to beat them? LSU has to go to Tuscaloosa this year. If I had to make a wager right now on it, I still think Alabama wins the West. And getting into that SEC championship game, Georgia hadn't looked great either. I'll just say that. In one of last week's episode, I gave you my head coach's rankings in the SEC, and I had Lane Kiffin number five. Lane Kiffin is officially on notice. Like I said, those top four were clear to me. Starting at five is where it gets murky. I gave him the benefit of the doubt to be number five. Similar to Clemson, Ole Miss, last year, 7-0 and start. Since then, they are 4-7 and overall, 1-7 and against Power 5 competition, with the one being against Georgia Tech last week. Matt Corral ain't walking through that door. I don't necessarily think Jackson Dart's the problem, but he's not one of those guys who's elevating them to be a much better team than they are based on quarterback play. Yes. They are hosting LSU this week. LSU at Ole Miss. I'm officially declaring this a man-up game for Ole Miss. Ole Miss. 
you get them at home. LSU showed this week they might be a little more vulnerable than we thought after the last week. Man up. Win the game. You can. You can. Go do it. That's what I'm looking to see from Ole Miss this week. Guys, I told you what was going to happen to Colorado. I told you what was going to happen to Colorado going to Oregon. And still, all the predictable reaction happened. You got half the people saying Dan Lanning is a jerk and a tool, and some are even saying racist for having the temerity and unmitigated gall to try to beat a black coach, apparently, in a football game. I don't know. Um, Just... Colorado had no business being in that game. They were never going to compete in that game. Oregon's a much better roster. They have been for a long time. Colorado's still doing the best they have with what they have. Take Travis Hunter out, and it was going to be even worse. To quote Coach O, Ray Charles could have seen this one coming. Everybody's sort of selling Colorado down the river. They're at home versus USC this week. USC's defense is bad. Their offense is pretty good. Their defense is bad. I think the whole world's going to be on USC this week. Again, a little sneak peek. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Something to keep an eye on for next episode. But Oregon did what they needed to do in that game. If they fancy themselves a Pac-12 title contender or college football playoff contender, they needed to come out at home with the home field advantage, raucous crowd they had, and they needed to squish Colorado like a bug. Mission accomplished. And shout out to my buddy Forrest for bringing this up on the group chat during the game. What do we think is the future of Dan Lanning at Oregon? Because you see Oregon from the outside, okay, Power 5, going to Big Ten from Pac-12, that could actually affect what I'm about to talk about. I think it's, you know, some of that Big Ten money. But you wouldn't think money would be a huge problem because they've got quite literally the biggest booster in the world funding their program pretty much. Phil Knight, founder, CEO, little company called Nike. Ever heard of it? They shouldn't really be hurting for money. Yet, here's how their last handful of coaches have left there. Everyone remembers Chip Kelly at Oregon. Had him rolling. He leaves to go to the NFL. Okay. Mark Helfrich, who I believe was his offensive coordinator, took over as head coach. He stunk. Got him to a national title game in the inaugural college football playoff, but that was because they had junior year Marcus Mariota, who was a cheat code in college. Once Mariota left, Oregon just year by year, worse, 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 they were in the hole. So he gets fired. Okay, nothing too much out of the ordinary here. Willie Taggart gets hired, coaches for one year before he leaves for Florida State. Oregon might have dodged a bullet on that one, judging by how his Florida State tenure went. Mario Cristobal takes over, stays four years, wins a lot of games on the back of Justin Herbert, and 
Miami offers him, he goes to Miami. So that is three of their last four coaches willingly left to go coach football elsewhere. Kelly to the NFL, Taggart and Cristobal to other Power 5 programs. So will they be able to keep Dan Lanning? If my memory serves, he has no connection to the Pacific Northwest before he went to Oregon. That was just sort of, okay, who's the best assistant out there? Let's go hire him, sort of hire. There was no, like I said, connection, nothing, you know, no reason for it other than that 2021 Georgia defense was the best we've ever seen. Let's go get that guy. He's been good so far, but again, he's been good so far. People are going to come calling. What's he going to do? I don't know. Phil Knight will have to pony up. Again, that Big Ten money might play a key role in getting their guys to stay now. I don't know, but just something to wait and see. Don't really think about that with Oregon. You think they're a little bit, you know, upper tier. Yeah, three of their four coaches left voluntarily, though. Interesting. Staying in the Pac-12, Utah 14, UCLA 7. Cam Rising, surprise, did not play like we thought he was. They still won. They still covered. Utah's defense is real. When they get rising back healthy, they're a Pac-12 title contender. They're a playoff contender. I'm talking Cam Rising is good. The quarterbacks Utah has been running out there so far are bad. They're all, they've already killed Florida. They've already beaten UCLA. These are decent teams to good teams, guys. They get that difference maker at quarterback out. Look out. USC, Oregon, Washington, Utah. It's going to be a fun Pac-12 race. For the last time ever, unfortunately. Don't get me started. Iowa-Penn State. We had a lot of fun talking about the Kirk Ferentz nepotism with the son, Brian Ferentz, as the offensive coordinator. Penn State won 31 to nothing, which I'll – Talk about the victor first here. I said they needed to, they needed to come out, crush Iowa, to see if they belong on that tier with Ohio State and Michigan. They did it. Mission accomplished on that one. Guys, Penn State ran 97 plays in the game offensively. Iowa ran 33. 33 offensive plays in an entire game. Again, we have fun talking about Brian Ferentz as the offensive coordinator. Are you Iowa fans okay with this? If there are any Iowa fans watching or listening, sound off in the comments. You can't be okay with this. The Georgia fans are ready to fire Mike Bobo after four games. This has been, what, three, four years of this for you? 33 plays in a game, guys. The Chip Kelly Oregon teams I was just telling you about would run 33 plays in a quarter. They had four first downs in the whole game. Bud Elliott of the Cover 3 podcast had a funny little tweet. You know, on Twitter, you can make a poll and give it four options. He just simply said, what was your favorite Iowa first down of the game? First, second, 
third, fourth. Well done, bud. But that offense is an embarrassment. Notre Dame, Ohio State. Notre Dame, Ohio State. Big game of the night. This one, it, equally great game. Florida State, Clemson, Notre Dame, Ohio State. Totally different vibes. Florida State, Clemson was your typical out of control, off the rails college football game. Ohio State, Notre Dame felt a little bit more like an NFL game, or it's just, you know, good defenses. Offenses will hit a couple of big plays, big third downs when you need them. And then in the fourth quarter, it got wild. I mean, those are two teams that probably could have played for three weeks straight and never had the game get more than 10-point margin either way. Like, they're just very even teams, good teams, I think. And Notre Dame, like Clemson, had every opportunity to win this game. Ohio State gets up 10 nothing. In the third quarter, Travion Henderson breaks off a long touchdown run. I told you last week, watch out for Travion. I told you. Did, did I tell you? Because, again, like I said, last episode, I had to record three different times. I think I said it in two of them and didn't in one. So I hope I told you to watch out for Travion. So I was taking a victory lap once he broke off that long touchdown run. But just honor system, I said it. Or I meant to say it. Now, when that happened, Ohio State goes up 10-0 in the third quarter. Notre Dame's had a lot of opportunities that they've blown to get on the scoreboard. I thought, okay, this is where Notre Dame folds. It's just not their night. They played well, but just can't get anything on the scoreboard. Ohio State starting to assert themselves a little bit. We gave it a good shot, but just not our night. That's not what Notre Dame did. Notre Dame got the ball back after that Travion Henderson touchdown and played man ball on them the next two possessions for two touchdowns. I believe one of them was like a 12-play drive that included three passes, the rest of them just pounding it. Next one had a little bit more passes mixed in. Hartman picked up a big third down on a great throw, and then the touchdown was actually a pass. But, again, a lot of that ball movement was running the ball. So they get up 14 to 10. Ohio State gets the ball back. Under two minutes left and the rest is history. Notre Dame should have won this game. This is just off the top of my head. All the missed opportunities Notre Dame had in this game. First offensive possession. Fourth and short and field goal range. Marcus Freeman decides to go for it. Hartman scrambling around. He decides to run for it. Picks up the first down we thought going out of bounds. They review it. He had the ball in the hand sort of behind him when he went out of bounds. They overturn it. Questionable overturn, by the way. But they did overturn it. Ohio State ball. Could have been three points if he makes it. Because next possession, they get the ball, go down there, kick a field goal, they miss it. So that's six points off the board. First possession of the third quarter, Marcus Freeman comes out of halftime and his interview with the sideline reporter says, we're going to go for it on every fourth and one. Well, he gets an opportunity early. 
They get to about midfield. Fourth and one. QB sneak. Sam Hartman tries to do the thing where you sort of shuffle to the left to pick your hold dive. Get stopped. So like I said, they get up 14 to 10. Under two minutes left. And on this last defensive possession alone, they had four opportunities to win the game. Didn't take any of them. Fourth and seven. McCord hits Julian Fleming on a little crosser. Only about five yards deep. Fleming has to gain a couple more yards to get the first down. He does it. And at this point, after that fourth and seven was picked up, Notre Dame fans knew what was coming. They were in the green jerseys. Every single one of them, I guarantee you, was having flashbacks to the 05 USC game on that same field, going toward that same end zone. Everyone saw it coming at that point. But then, Kyle McCord throws a terrible pass. Easy interception. Easy to nobody around the defender. Jumps it. Hands right there. Can you see this camera? Right there. Just right through his hands. Missed opportunity. Could have ended the game. Should have ended the game. Todd Blackledge on the broadcast even said he's very lucky right now. And he doesn't criticize quarterbacks often. Anyway, they get down to the red zone. There's some sort of sack or penalty or something. It's third and about 22 from like the 25. Basically third and goal, two plays to score. Well, they don't score. They just throw a 23-yard pass to get down to the two-yard line, one-yard line. They got, I guess it would have been the one-yard line. They got time for, as Blackledge said, either one run or two passes or pass and a run. First play, they roll out incomplete. There's three seconds left. Everyone knows what's coming. Snap the ball, running back, falls onto the goal line, touchdown, game over. Every Notre Dame fan saw it coming, guys. Every single one of them. As soon as that fourth and seven, they all knew. I think even when it was third and 22 from the 25, they still knew if they were being honest with themselves. What a game. I'd been hyping Saturday up for over a week, guys. It lived up. From start to finish, it lived up. So, week three, apple picking Saturday, that was a week slate. Week four was next level. We don't get those kind of slates very often. Now, as we go into week five, this is where we settle in. It's just going to be good Good college football for the rest of the season. Everybody's starting conference play up. Not a whole lot more group of five games, FCS games. This is when it starts to get real. The picks went 8-10-2. and two, The against the spread picks that I gave out. Coulda, shoulda been better. Not really any bad beats like every other play two weeks ago was, but some that just definitely didn't bounce our way. Should have been 
a little bit over 500 if we're being honest. But 8-10-2, the ball bounces how the ball bounces. Boise State, San Diego State, wrong. Went way over, I told you under, my bad. Auburn A&M, wrong. Went way under, I told you over, my bad. Auburn's receivers just stink, I guess. And setting myself up because Georgia goes to Auburn this week, but Peyton Thorne was awful. The quarterback. And, uh, yeah. Again, because we know a and secondary is not good. Miami torched them. And Hugh Freeze can't scheme these guys open. I don't know. Oregon minus 20 and a half, 42 to 6. Easy winner. Utah minus 6. Thought we were dead. Thought we were dead when Rising didn't play. But they ended up winning by 7. That's still a cover. Miami Temple under 47. That was my late ad after I filmed the last episode because I saw that game was going to be played in pretty much a hurricane. So I went under. Under 47 was the play. 48 points were scored. Tough one. Ohio minus 10, guys. Ohio might just be an auto pick every week. They were 10-point favorites when they went 38-10. to 10. Ohio Bobcats, just awesome. Rice minus 2.5, shocker. JT Daniels got hurt. That's a loser. Tennessee minus 20. Ended up being a pretty easy winner. Got a little squirrely. They were up 31-0 at halftime. Said, all right. We're over the number by 11 points. We should be good. UTSA comes out third quarter, scores 14 points, 31 to 14. Then Joe Milton throws an interception. I'm upset. I'm thinking this is, mm, they had it. They're going to let it slip away, but they score a couple more touchdowns. I believe 45-14 was the final there for the easy cover. South Alabama minus 15, wrong play. Maybe Oklahoma State's just that bad. That's why South Alabama beat Oklahoma State by that bad last week. Liberty minus 10.5. I believe the final was 38-6. to Easy winner. LSU minus 18. Guys, I just had the wrong read on that game. I thought LSU had really figured it out. I thought Arkansas would be demoralized after their horrible fourth quarter that they blew to BYU. Credit to Arkansas. Credit to Pittman. He got them ready to play. Almost won the game outright. So LSU wins with that one. Close. Not close to the spread, though. Southern Miss minus six was a loss. There, I'm not off of fading Arkansas State, but maybe some of these conference games, these teams are equally pathetic. Missouri minus seven. They were up by more than seven the entire second half. Memphis scores a garbage time touchdown to get it down to seven. That's our first push. Tough one. App State, Wyoming under 43. Almost a bad beat. It was under the whole game. Easy, easy under. Fourth quarter goes bananas. They end up 42 points total. So we get the cover by one. Notre Dame plus three. We just went through the game. Shame on Ryan Day for kicking that extra point. In no way should he have kicked that extra point. And that's not just for the spread. I think that's the reason he did it, by the way. Because football-wise, that's just the wrong play. You went up 16-14 to 14 with one second left. What's the only thing that can happen to you is Notre Dame blocks this extra point. There's a snap over the head, whatever. They run it back for a two-point conversion, and you're tied. 
you go out there for the extra point. You get in victory formation. Take a knee. You're up two points with a one-second kickoff left. You win the game. The only way that could have gone sideways for them is if something went wonky on the extra point and Notre Dame runs it back. That cost us the cover. So it ended up being a push. The Raging Cajuns of Lafayette, that's another one. They were covering the whole game. They were up 21 with, I think, seven minutes left. We had a minus nine and a half. I want to say they gave up touchdown, onside kick, touchdown to end the game. That could be bad beatish, but it's a loss that should have been a win for sure. UCF K-State, under 57, just a loser. Just a loser. North Carolina minus eight. Want to talk about North Carolina real quick. What are the odds makers missing on North Carolina? We've had a pick in their games all four weeks so far. We're three and one. Should be four and oh because that under that went to double overtime to hit the over was the only loss. The three wins we've had on them was picking them against the spread every time. They've done it easily every time. Where's the disconnect between these odds makers and this North Carolina team? Again, Drake May is probably the second best quarterback in the country. If they keep hanging these disrespectful numbers on North Carolina, we're going to keep taking them and cashing them. Entertainment purposes only, of course. USC minus 34. USC's defense stinks. I mean, they stink. They played Arizona State for crying out loud. Arizona State. Here's their four games this season. Week one, they beat Southern Utah 24-21. to They beat Southern Utah by three points. Week two, they play Oklahoma State. That Oklahoma State. The Oklahoma State that lost to South Alabama by like 20-something. The Oklahoma State that just lost to Iowa State, who was supposed to be the worst team in the Big 12. Yeah, they lost to that Oklahoma State by 12 at home in week two. Week three, they're at home again versus Mountain West Fresno State. They lost 29 to nothing. So USC, Lincoln Riley, Caleb William, and them boys rolling in. Only minus 34, like I said on the previous show, I thought they'd have a cover to halftime. No reason they wouldn't. USC wins 42 to 28. And that is why, spoiler alert, we're going to be on Colorado this week. Ridiculous. Washington minus 21. Again, I think right now, for asking Mill with no preconceived notions, I think he'd probably tell you Washington's the best team in the country right now. Somebody out there, don't remember who it was, a well-respected blue check mark journalist, posed the question, could Washington be pulling a 2019 LSU right now and we just haven't figured it out yet? That's how good that offense has been so far. So that was a winner. So, 8-10-2. 
Brings the season total to 31, 36, and 3. Realistically, should be a lot better than that. I would not be saying that if it wasn't true. We've had a lot of bad breaks so far. Again, we've been doing this every college football season for the last handful of years. We come out in the black every time. That's not a guarantee, but that is what I believe will happen. Trust the process or fade me if you want. I don't care, but we're going to keep on doing this. Special announcement. So later this week, we'll have the week five preview, like always. Might have a bonus episode this week. Might have our first non-college football show this week, if I can swing it time-wise. It's a little, little golf event going on over in Rome this week. I'd have to do an episode on it. Anyway, thanks for the green screen. Hope my logos worked up there. If not, hope you like looking at the green behind me. Thanks for hanging out. See you next time.